0: And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci Fi for Me Radio
1: is live from the bunker.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. Coming to you from deep beneath World Headquarters in Kansas City. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com, where you can find all sorts of book reviews, movie reviews, various different news items that uh, don't make it into the Saturday morning news program. Good to have all of you here with us. If you are with us live, we are broadcasting to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube, and uh, the show is available as a podcast. I see people in Saudi Arabia, Russia, Australia, Spain. Good to see all of you showing up on the map here. number of different podcast platforms where you can find the show you can always leave a comment and uh, let us know how things are and we're uh, we ready to go Russ okay hold on just a second here. we are doing about six different things here so stand by this <laughs> is one of those things where uh, we're doing about, uh, I'm doing a couple of things here. Russ is doing a couple of things on his end. Let me uh, let me turn that down just a little bit here, and uh, that's one less button that I gotta push. Let me push this button here, and push that button there. Russ, are you there? I'm here. Okay, are we all set to go or?
1: I'm ready to rock and roll.
0: Okay, all right, I. <laughs> it was one of like, well yes, everybody's muted for every other thing. So yes. uh ju- excuse me, joining me today, author Russ Kolmashiro. He is a uh, did I get oh,
1: that sorry. right?
0: Col- Colchamiro. How did I how did I transpose those? I've been practicing it all week. Uh, anyway. I, I <laughs> heard worse, believe me. <laughs> uh he is uh both an author and a YouTube host himself. He's got uh, Russ's Russ's uh, Rockin' Roller Coaster over on YouTube. We've got a link in the notes for that. And uh, he's got a new book out. The third in the Angela Hardwick sci-fi mystery series, Hot Ash, which is the latest uh, that uh, follows Angela Hardwick, who's kind of a hard-boiled private eye, from Eternity, the Cosmic Realm... Responsible for the design, creation, and maintenance of the universe. So, welcome, sir. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for doing uh, for having me on. I'm I'm used to being on the other side of this conversation.
0: Yeah, well, I you know it 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 keeps everybody on their toes, I guess, right? For sure. <laughs> so uh, let's let's start with the Angela Hardwick series how did that get started what's the what's the trajectory and what's this particular book about
1: sure um so angela hardwick actually i've been writing the character probably for i don't i'm losing track of the years maybe seven or eight years she started off as a kind of a throwaway blink and you miss it character in an, in a previous series um the second book in a sci-fi comedy series called genius to milo she just kind of came in. She almost had she really had no real significance on the plot. But as soon as she kind of showed up, I kind of went, "Ooh, that's interesting. So I bumped her up to a significant secondary character in the third in the final book in that series Astro Palooza. And I really I was really digging the vibe. I've always been a huge fan of private detective fiction, mystery, and also science fiction. And I just, my instincts were pulling me in this sort of, this blend of the two. And I know in general, there's not a lot of it out there, but it just really spoke to me. Um, and then I knew I wanted to do something significant with this character. But I also wasn't sure if I really had wrapped my, hand, wrapped my arms around who she was and can I really do this? So I'm a member of crazy Eight press, which is an author collective, even though it says crazy eight, there's actually 10 of us. Right. And we write uh, a lot of pulp, science fiction, fantasy, crime, horror, um, you know, swashbuckling adventures, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And what we typically do is now two, three times a year, we put out various anthologies, and we sort of take turns being in the sort of the editor's chair. And it was my turn at bat. And I, put, I produced um, a, a collection called uh, Love, Murder, Mayhem, and they're all um, there's 15 authors and 15 stories, all dealing with various sci-fi tropes: superheroes, supervillains, AIs, private eyes, off-world, space cruisers, time travel, that kind of thing. And I did this very specifically as um, as a vehicle to test out a hardwick short story. And the way I write hardwick is all first person and I which I happen to love you know it's it's in essence it's sort of like if you're watching the movie in this narration it's basically what that is but in book form like I really love having the um the lead character kind of talk us through everything that's happening and I do it in real time right so I did a short story in this one and I was really happy with it it was a case of um of arson and it turned out to be that she kind of stumbles into, um, and she winds up investigating that case. And I said, okay, I think I got this. So from there, I decided that I was gonna write a series um, with her ongoing. And I was confident that I could do it, but you know, being confident that you could do it and actually being able to do it well are <laughs> two totally different things. <laughs> so that's when I kind of dove in and I wrote um, Crackle and Fire. Uh, which is the first book in the series. And then after that, I did um, uh, Fractured Lives, and then the newest one uh, is Hot Ash. Now, just to kind of give folks a little perspective, like, you know, what kind of world is she in? Where does she, where does she roam? Um, so the way I envision the character, to me, she's sort of part Blade Runner, part Doctor Who, and part Atomic Blonde. Um, so <laughs> she does the hard-boiled detective stuff. She can also, Zig, zig and zag throughout the cosmos and she's also when push comes to shove she can she can kick some ass yeah um she's not on she's not an unstoppable force but you know she's not someone that you want to mess around lightly with and she has a protege eric whistler who comes to her at the beginning and he's kind of like this eager beaver kind of very young pup you know he just wants to be on team hardwick he just wants to be part of the team <laughs> and he doesn't really know what he's getting himself into right because from the outside he thinks she's so cool but like when you get into like the day-to-day of being a private detective and being a private detective who not only takes on standard cases such as you know kidnapping arson corporate espionage theft murder etc she'll also go into the folds of the cosmos and when you're going out there i mean anything's possible right time travel right. Full ripples in space you know other realms and it's dangerous and confusing and very challenging and she is not used to having someone with her she's a she's that classic lone wolf i work alone i don't want to talk about what i do or how i do it i don't want to explain myself to anyone and i don't want to negotiate how i do it i just want to go do my thing yeah but whistler kind of wins her over and he, she takes him under her wing and she teaches him well but she also makes a lot of mistakes because she's just not good at this. She's not, she's not uh, by instinct nor by training, not good at bringing someone along. So they kind of fumble their way. But over the course of the novels, Whistler gets better. He proves himself more and more. She comes to rely on him. And there's a friction between the two of them because it happens often as you see in any situation with a mentor and a mentee. At the beginning, the mentee is like, thank you so much for all this time and attention that you're giving me. I love it. But at a certain point, they're like, you know, get out of my face. I'm tired of you telling me what to do, (laughs) even though they start off with tell me what to do. Show me how to do stuff. And at a certain point, they're like, get out of my face. I already know how to do this. Leave me alone. Does this lead lead
0: to a moonlighting type of friction? No. Okay. No,
1: I can I can guarantee you one hundred percent. It says take this to the bank. They won't there is no will there, won't they? They will never ever do it. Okay. Never ever. That won't happen. That's that as a promise, I will it'll never happen. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they might not have a couple awkward moments, but there's sure. never gonna be that line will never be crossed, and that is not the crux of their relationship. It's really it's it's much more there about it's more about finding their way towards can they really be partners in a meaningful way that it's more about that um so i can tell you that in each novel for anyone who's interested so this is an ongoing series these are standalone novels you can read them in any order from a plot standpoint it doesn't matter if you read book three first or one or two it's irrelevant they're just self-contained mysteries however i will say that there is character development throughout the course of the over the course of the series. So your mileage may vary on how important it is there. Um, The other element that I think is significant for Hardwick is that, so she's about 34, 35 years old. She has a six-year-old son. And particularly in the first two books, and it'll be threaded throughout, is that the big question that she has to face is, can I be this hard-boiled, private eye, on realm and off realm and be very good at what i do and be a good mother to my son a can she do it and then b if she can what does that look like because the last thing she wants to do is endanger her child she's going to have enemies she's going to be gone at all hours and sometimes for hours days weeks or longer and how does that work and it's very complicated and it really um it really challenges Hardwick in a lot of ways. So she's got, you know, her case is here. She's got her son over here. She's got Whistler over here. And she's constantly, I kind of look at it as like that triangle. The tension comes from all three sides. And she's constantly being tested about how can I be this full, you know, this full, um, a full-blown adult and a woman and a professional and a mother and a friend and a mentor and a partner. And it's, and those personal elements are threaded throughout um, every novel
0: now with her being the private eye um, yep. the the hero of the story generally accumulates a rogues gallery of villains is that is that part <laughs> of this is there are there does she have her own Joker analog has she got a nemesis
1: so um, <laughs> it's funny that you should ask that um, in the second book, um, Crackle and Fire, there's, there's a character called the Scarlet Raj, who, it's an urban legend about, you know, kind of this mysterious figure who's kind of doing some kind of sketchy things with, um, in particular with art, with, um, there's, a, there's a, a university that focuses specifically on uh, galaxy creation, maintenance, it's engineering, design, and the students are constantly talking about ooh, the Scarlet Raj. If you don't, if you don't do your work, the Scarlet Raj is going to come and get you. Well, I don't want to give anything away. But my intention at the time that I wrote the novel was that there was going to be a sort of a Moriarty kind of um, relationship here. Um, I'm not going to tell you if that is ultimately going to play out or not. Um, I'll, just, I'll just leave that sort of dangling. Um The villain in the first book, I don't think we'll see again. There will be—I I don't want to give too much away because these are these are standalone novels. But I would say, unless the character is dead, I mean, like dead and buried, right. there's always the possibility that they'll come back another day.
0: But it um, could be—it could be a comic book death,
1: Russ. It, it does, well, you know, dead yeah, doesn't there, nec- could, there, could, there <laughs> could be, but what I go for is the way I look at the novels is that these are pulp novels. So you know, fantastical things can definitely happen. Yeah. But I also like to bring a certain amount of realism to the mechanics of what Hardwick does. And I consult with law enforcement, I consult with, I have some friends who are actual private investigators. And I, I've I've read many books on these, I've interviewed them, and I really try to get I want it to be I want A lot of what she does to be grounded given the fact that this world is fantastical and all sorts of crazy things can happen so I don't do a whole lot of oh I pressed the blah blah magic formula and oh (laughs) by the way you're not dead I found your spirit in a crystal in some other universe and that I don't do a lot of Um, if you're dead you're dead
0: now how much world building have you done with all of this because a lot of a lot of authors will do all of this, you know, you talk about the research and the interviews and the notes and right. all this and they'll have binders full of stuff that's right. the reference material and how they keep track of the continuity and all of this. Right. How, how much effort have you made for the world-building side of things? Because in in this, where you're coming up with this, like you say, a fantastical environment where there's right. there's demons and there's cosmic forces and all of this, you kind of, kind of, have to have to keep track of how it all works so you don't contradict right. yourself how that's, how that's much right. how much effort so, has that been
1: uh, a lot actually um so i have i have maps handwritten and i came up with this i, I hand drew a map and i did it several times i lost it i freaked out I was so upset i misplaced it somewhere I had to redo it and then i cleaned out my office six months ago and i, I found it <laughs> so i scanned it photocopied it i've got them everywhere because i don't want to lose it again yeah. so i know where the where the neighborhood boundaries are where the rivers are where the bridges are um and the world itself it has to phys- in my mind it has to physically make sense right it has to be a sure. tangible very real place and so that the, the core city that um, Hardwick is in is you know the realm is eternity so, so think of it like so how Hollywood essentially the whole town revolves around the movie business right but so what's there not only are there movie studios you've got marketing firms advertising acting you know acting schools accountants lawyers restaurants and right. all the ancillary businesses that spill out from that but if like the movie business shut down in Hollywood Hollywood itself would be a ghost town the town would die right right so eternity is the same thing essentially it's just that what they do is they are responsible as i as you had said for they do the designing they actually come up with blueprints they um are hard to to design you know galaxies in this world don't just appear they're actually contracted out someone has to pay for it and then you have to design it you have to build it you have to maintain it so you've got galaxy designers you got comet pavers you've got you know um uh, um, marketing firms that want to ha- put out a new a new nebula in the and si- this part in this quadrant of space, but it's all down here at street level, so it's an ur- urban core. It's a city like any city that you might think of. So you know, is, high rises, is there a skyscrapers? Is there a, you
0: know, is there a wink and a nod to Douglas Adams? Are there any mice in these construction crews? No, 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 no.
1: This is don't don't <laughs> don't, don't don't think. Um, Don't think silly fantasy this is more you know the world is real and tangible and at times very gritty and dark and you know it's if you were walking through any urban center anywhere in the world you would say this is a city well this place is a city and her town is they for short it's e-town right and that's kind of her that that's her stomping ground and she walks the streets she needs to touch the streets she needs to know she knows every corner every all every back alley which neighborhood leads where which road leads where which is a one way su- which is one way which is two way she knows all that because that's what she does she walks the streets over and over and over and over and she takes cases all over the place so she's really a part of the city you know she, it she lives it and she breathes it it's very real very tangible um and i spend a lot of time building in the details. Now what happened is in the first book, Crackle and Fire, I thought, wow, you know, I got to give them this whole world. And I and a lot of I got a whole bunch of reviews and, you know, half the readers said, "Oh my god, the world building is so fantastic and wonderful. I love it. This is so creative." And the other half said, "Where's all this great world building I'm supposed to get?" So <laughs> right. so I don't know which one is right. So I made the decision to really not just double down, triple down on the world building. So in the second book, Crackling and Fire, I mean now Fractured Lives, I added many, many, many layers of tangible world building. And then I continued that and I keep expanding it in Hot Ash. There's even more. And then, you know, so now in each book, I'm going to add bits and pieces that you haven't seen before, because I want to constantly show readers new parts of the realm, new elements, but also reminding them of the stuff that's already there. So you feel very lived in. So I can say this to any reader no matter what book you start in, I reintroduce the world basically from scratch in every novel. I reintroduce Hardwick in every novel. And anytime there's a secondary or tertiary character, because there are some recurring, you know, not even sidekicks, but, you know, she's got her own little crew of people. Sure. I reintroduce them in every book. So no matter where you start, it's, this is who this is. This is how we met. This is kind of our relationship. So no matter yeah. where you start in the series, you, you can read this and go, Okay, I know where I am, I knew who the players are, and I kind of get how all this works.
0: Now, with the with the cosmic fantastical, and you know, we I I kind of made a joke there about Adams with the mice, but no. have you have you found it a challenge yeah. to constrain yourself and not do the whimsical stuff because you know a certain amount of fantasy you could you know i mean there's no. demons you know are, are, are no temptation I I, to add dragons yeah. or anything or
1: no i'm it's really not i think i i think that you think that this series is something that it's not okay okay you're I'm. I'm hearing you. You've now. This is the second time you brought up Douglas Adams. I think that uh, scrub that from your brain. This okay. is not. Repeat. This is not Douglas Adams.
0: Right. No. It, and, and and I understand that. And I, I'm. No, no, no. But
1: what I'm saying is, this is. Think of it more like Blade Runner. Okay. Okay. Think of it more that. Think of it more of that way. It's gritty. It, and as the series goes on, it gets grittier as it goes on. So it's really like you know steam pipes, yep. neon signs, you know. Wet markets. I that's think the kind
0: of, I think the fantastical is is where I'm hanging up a little bit because I'm trying to reconcile and no, make it's sure. not it's it's really okay. not
1: it's very it's much less fantasy and much more sci-fi and miss and noir.
0: Got it. Okay. You're, it's so. not. It's really. It's not.
1: Your. I know where I think your head is, but and this look, there is some this there's, well, there's humor in every book, and there are when I say there's fantastical elements. Sure, there she can you know if need be she may get trapped in folds of time and space and there's some time travel which you know of course is a little bit more fantastical but right. no we're not really i don't in this series you're not going to be seeing i don't have any expectations you're not going to be seeing dragons or you know okay. god gobl- you know that kind of thing this right. is really more I think more more sci-fi a little harder sci-fi got it. not okay not entirely but so leaning in that direction
0: death angel shadow here in the chat says it's gritty science fiction not science fantasy and that's that's I'm, I'm i'm when i blade runner gives you a very specific image uh that conjures up so that that helps me a little bit i i'm intrigued i'm i'm thinking i probably want to read these um Especially since Nicholas Meyer has said some good things about it. He says here, yes. uh, Russ, you've staked out a territory of sci-fi mystery uniquely his own. With Angela Hardwick, he mines a vein of pulp fiction gold. That's yes. That's got to be gratifying to have that kind of a, a review yeah. there, right?
1: Yeah, you know, it, 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 it sure is. I mean, you know, if you had asked me when I started, do I think that Nicholas Meyer, you know, writer, director of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is A ever even going to hear of me B going to take time out of his life to read my books, one of my books, and then C say something glowing about them. The answer would have been, you're out of your mind. <laughs>
0: right. And
1: yet, oh, and yet all three have happened.
0: Now, was so, that completely unsolicited? He just, he just,
1: no, no, actually what happened is, is through some, because of my, uh, my podcast, um, I through some mutual relationships, uh, I had Nicholas Meyer on my show about a year ago. He was great. He was great. We got along really well. And then afterwards, I sent him, I said, Hey, look, would you be, would it be possible for you to, you know, maybe read, you know, at that point, Fractured Lives? And, you know, I mean, it can't hurt to ask. The worst thing that I'll get told is no. Right. He said, Sure. Send me a, he said, send me a copy and I'll get to it if I can. All right. That's fair. Right. That's not a promise that he's even going to pick it up i did i sent it to him and i forgot all about it because i figured he's got other things on his mind he's not thinking about me he's got his own life yeah and then sometime later i got a, i got a note and said russ read your book loved it how does this sound and i, I just <laughs> just couldn't like i remember I was, I was sitting right in this chair when i got it right here and i was just just stunned beyond belief yeah. i was just wow um it was, it was as a, an author i would say it's one of my most gratifying accomplishments to date
0: Yeah, that's that's one of those things where, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but sometimes it can turn out pretty well when you when you get something like that. And, you know, he was was great. He was
1: great. Um, I have I have to say he was very generous with me and he did not have to be at all. So I'm always I'm always in fact, I mean, I don't know how what other authors have told you, but I can say for myself, I never believe ever that the fans or other readers don't owe me anything they don't owe it to me to read my book they don't owe it to me to buy my book and if they read it they don't they don't owe it to me to like it and if they like it they don't owe it to me to say something nice about it publicly they don't owe me anything zero so anytime someone posts a review or says something nice about one of my books I'm really appreciative because they have they've got other stuff going on in their lives and like I said they owe me nothing So when they so when they do that, to me, that's a gesture of kindness. And I always appreciate it, no matter who it is.
0: Yeah, it's something I think, uh, you know, especially looking at some people's behavior online with social media. It seems like some creators have lost the plot when it comes to that kind of thing where, you know, it's it's you don't like you don't like what I have to say or you don't you don't agree with me on whatever else. Don't buy my book, and I was like, "Why would you turn away your potential customer like that?" That just doesn't uh, make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't really look at it that way. I mean, look, art is—you know—is is there toxicity in fandom out there? Yes, there is, and on sadly and unfortunately, it's prevalent, and it's not something that you know. Obviously, it's distressing. I try not to engage in it too much. I yep. mean, people who know me, I—I'm fairly outspoken when I have something to say, <laughs> but ultimately, I'm not out there. To pick fights with people i'm not out there to sort of to tell the world that i i'm right and they're wrong um especially in in my you know sci fi my in my writer adventures um i'm looking to make friends and i my goal is to consistently put out the best the best stories the best novels that i possibly can and i have confidence that there that there will be there's an audience for them it's really just a matter of Am I going to penetrate the market, all the noise to get to them? Yeah. Um, and I want to have I want I want to make friends and I want us to be in it together. I want us to share things that we like or love the same. But if we don't agree, that's OK. We don't have to agree. Right. And yep. we, and the fact that the likelihood of you agreeing completely with another person is pretty small, I mean, there's an old saying, right, that if both of us totally agree that one of us isn't necessary. Well, <laughs> You know, yeah. I want to have the conversation. And if you think something other than what I think, I want to hear about it, because maybe you have something to offer that I hadn't considered. And I go, oh, you know what? I never thought of it like that. You know, and you know what? You're changing my mind or huh? You've added something to my appreciation of whatever we're talking about. So um, we don't have to, I'm not looking for it. You're either totally in my camp or you're not. That's just, that's kind of an extremist point of view. And that's just kind of not where I'm at.
0: Yeah. All right. Our guest is Russ Colchimiro. We're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit about Russ's rock and Roller Coaster program and what's next for Angela Hardwick on the other side of the break. Stand by. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. like, okay, hold on. You've got somebody, and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. It's, 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 it's like that that, uh, that scene in, in the Green Lantern movie where she looks at him and is like, how? You know, it's like, you just put on a mask, and you expect me not to recognize you? The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker, our guest today, Russ Colchimiro, the author of the Angela Hardwick Sci-Fi Mystery Series. And also the uh, the host of uh, Russ's Rockin' Roller Coaster, and he uh, was us now. Russ, how did how did this how did this get started doing the the thing? Because everybody everybody now has a YouTube channel. Everybody's got a a podcast or something. How did you get started on this
1: one? Um. So this goes back about two and a half years. So, you know, the pandemic hit in March, late March of 2020. Now, at the time, nobody really knew what it was going to be or how long it was going to take. But after about three or four weeks, it became pretty clear that this isn't going to be over anytime soon. You know, we're going to be in this for six to 12 months at least. Right. Um, And, you know, obviously it just shattered everyone's idea of how their lives were going to go. And what happened is I want to say it was sometime around maybe early May, I guess, of 2020. The very first kind of the very beginning of doing, you know, these sort of, you know, virtual interviews was just starting to creep up. Um, and someone that I know, and I'm not going to mention who it is, had one, um, you know, and I've reached out. This is someone I knew. Um, I've known for a couple of years. You know, we're friendly. I'm not going to say we're best friends, but we're friendly. I'd actually done this this person a favor at one point. Um, I said, oh, hey, I see you're doing this series and, you know, hey, I, you know, how about, you know, is it possible to try to set up an interview? And he said something and I was at the same time, I was uniquely of two minds. So he said, he's like, all right, maybe he's like, you know, why, why should I, you know, why should I interview you? You know, what's your pitch? And on the one hand, I felt like, you know what? That's just uncool. You know, who, you know who I am. You've known me for years. You know what I bring to the table. I did you a solid and you're basically making me sing for my supper. This is just for the possibility to maybe come on the show once. Yeah. And on the other hand, I felt like, well, you know what? But that's fair, though, because I'm sure a lot of people want to get their shot. And let's say you only you only have X hours in your free time. I can only interview so many people. And what if I have seven slots, but 50 authors who want to who want to do it? How am I supposed to choose? So it's on the one hand, it was completely legitimate. And on the other hand, I felt like I'd been at this long enough where I just, and I just said to myself, you know what? I'm never doing this again. I'm never going to ask anyone. I'm just, I'm never going to beg someone just to consider me to do it once. Yeah. I'm doing this. I'm doing this myself. And then from that moment, until I was on the air, it was two weeks. I just backed myself into a corner. I knew nothing, literally no, nothing about how to do this. Didn't have a web, webcam. I only had the built-in you know, webcam on my computer. I didn't have a microphone. I didn't have the right tech. I didn't know what I was doing. And I reached out to people who I knew in, the, in my nerd world. And I said, hey, do you want to do this? And I figured at the time, you know, I'd get maybe a half dozen interviews. It would run out of steam. And that would be the end of it. Well, I spent two weeks on a crash course. I have a buddy of mine who does it and he gave me some tips and I bought some equipment and I was really stressed out about it because I literally had two weeks to be on the air because I had made commitments to other people. So I'm like and I just don't like to I don't like to let people down if I make a promise. Right. So I was just so I had to upgrade my technology. I had to write and figure out how to do this and write my scripts and get all the pieces together. And I got on the air and it turned out to be kind of fun and then the next thing I knew, more and more people were like, oh, my God, I love your show. I love the way, you, the way you do it, the way you use your humor and your pacing. And then the list of people who wanted to be on the show was growing and growing and growing. And I thought, huh, I did not see this coming at all. And I have, from an interviewer's perspective, I like to dive into science fiction, sci-fi and sci-fi fantasy, because that's sort of where I live but also I love crime and mystery, but I didn't know that world. I'd been in the sci-fi nerd world on book tour for 10, 12 years. So I knew lots of people, but on the crime and mystery side, hardly anyone. I had just joined the New York chapter of the mystery writers uh, of America, probably about six or 12 months before that I had gone to some local meetings um to introduce myself but to them even though i've been on book tour for 10 12 years they didn't know who i was because they're not the sci-fi crowd they're the real this is just pure crime pure mystery or thrillers there's no sci-fi really at all right very so niche came, very niche yeah. and so they didn't really know what to think of about me at the beginning because i was this new guy and where does he fit in but i met some people and, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly good networker and I'm certainly not shy about talking to people. So I met some folks and I wound up having, I asked a couple of them out to lunch. We had lunch. I just talked to them about, you know, what's going on in your side of the world on the, you know, the crime space and we talked about publishing and publishers and editors and sales and conventions and right, all the things that you would talk about. And I started to develop this network. So I decided that I wanted to also have those folks on my podcast because my series, the Hardwick series, is a blend of sci-fi and classic noir. Now, a lot of sci-fi readers will read other genres. right? They'll also read fantasy, horror, comedy, crime, mystery, but the, the, the crime readers tend to stay in their lane a bit more. They're harder to kind of pull over, but I was determined to do that, and I'm still <laughs> determined to do that. <laughs> So the podcast really grew this way. And as I met, interviewed one person, I would hear from other writers who were like, oh, my God, that was great. Is there any chance I could get on the show? And then I started reaching out to some folks and they said, oh, my God, who I figured never heard of me. I said, blind calls. Hey, this is who I am. I emailed them. Any interest in coming on my show? They're like, oh, my God, I know who you are. I've seen your show, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I'd love to do it, which totally shocked me. I mean, this is not something I expected. And now it's you know I'm um, I just I was just on the air when was it Wednesday first season I, I started season eight I did a um, a panel on uh, Star Trek Star Trek Strange New Worlds Nef- next week I'm doing Kenobi um, and I do some, then I'm doing some crime and stuff and I'm gonna be by the end of this season coming up it'll be seventy five or seventy eight episodes in which shocked me I never ever saw this coming never.
0: Now, do do these videos live anywhere else on the web? Because I'm looking at your YouTube channel. I see uh, I see episode 69 here. Are they live, and then you port them over, or how does that work? Yeah.
1: So what I do is I um, I host them via Zoom, like we're doing now. I record it. I record the hour, and then usually that weekend I upload that video to my YouTube channel. So it also so if you can't make it live you can watch it later gotcha Hmm. yeah it's also all the and you can get the links on my you can you can find them on youtube you can go to my uh, website and it'll take you right there
0: you you mentioned networking how did you get involved with crazy eight press because i i've talked to i've talked to bob greenberger a couple of times Uh i know i know peter david's in that group i think uh that's right is it michael jan friedman's in there too and so yeah, a lot right. of a lot of science fiction guys, a lot of you know some comic book guys in there. How did you get yeah. into that? It's almost like a like an image comics for publishing almost. You
1: know what? That's, in a weird way, that's true. So what happened is about oh boy, ten years ago, I guess I was out at PhilCon, which is a a, a regional sci-fi fantasy little horror. Um, it started out in Philadelphia, but it merged to uh, move to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I had a table there about like I said, about 10 years or so ago. And at the time I had my first book out, Finders Keepers, which is a sci-fi comedy. It's a backpacking comedy. It's sort of like um, Bill and Ted, you know, it's sort of like a Bill and Ted uh, meets Hitchhiker's Guide type of, that's kind of more of a Douglas Adams type right. of thing. Gotcha. And I had it out there and some guy came along and he was just, you no know, looking at the various books and he picks up my book and he goes, huh, he goes, this looks interesting. What's this? I go, oh, it's sci-fi comedy, but not a lot of, writers do that? He says, I do that. i was like, really? And his name is Aaron Rosenberg. And I said, okay. I'm like, all right. And I told him about me. I said, okay, oh, really? I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, where do you live? He's like, New York. I'm like, me too. I said, okay, where? He's like, Queens. I said, me too. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, you know, I have two kids. Oh, me too. And right, it just kind of went on like that. And we, were, we became kind of fast friends. And he said, look, you know, me and a bunch of other folks, sci-fi writers meet at the Malibu Diner, on um, 23rd Street in Manhattan, closer to uh, 8th Avenue. And they have been they've been doing this for 20 years because tour uh, publishing used to be on the same block. And right. they would go and, and everyone from tour and the editors and the publishers would have lunch like on a Wednesday. And then after lunch, they'd go across the street to the comic book shop and they would do that. That was their tradition. So years had gone by. And at this point, the group, I think at maximum they would get like 15, 20, 25 people per week at lunch, mm. right? It was just go, Huge thing, but by the time I'd gotten there, it was a lot smaller. So I went over there. I met those guys. I met Aaron and a couple of other guys, and I met Bob Greenberg and a few others. And after we got to know each other a little bit more, I said to Aaron, "Goes, look, you know, I'm kind of looking for a home for some future books." I said, "Do you have any interest in, you know, maybe working with me?" And he said, "Well, it's funny you should ask, because we were he said we were just talking about expanding the group." So he said, hey, guys, I met this guy, Russ. This is who he is. He's a good guy. He's a good writer. This is what he does. What do you think? And they then invited me formally to join Crazy 8 Press. And I've now been with them uh, about 10 years.
0: So how, how did the anthologies come about? Because they've done a number of Kickstarter uh, campaigns, a number right. of crowdfunding campaigns now. What Where did the idea for those anthologies first Start Was that was it something that was just kicked around in, in one of these lunch gatherings or was there something specific, uh, a, a particular goal in mind when this thing got kicked off?
1: There was um, this actually predates me. Um, there was a collection we did called Tales from the Crimson Keep. It's sort of a um, think of like a slightly more adult Harry Potter type of a theme. Right. There's an actual keep. And the master who's like the wizard and he, tr- and he, tr- and he trains the young, young wizards to sort of, you know, to, to harness their powers. And there are goblins and demons and whatnot in this world. And I don't really remember exactly why they decided to do an anthology, but that was the first one that they did. Um, and then I came in a little bit after that. And then it kind of got to the point where, you know, the way it works is at crazy presses. As the author, you have the right to sort of publish whatever you want. have carte blanche don't need permission you don't have to discuss it with the group it's this is what I'm doing next on your own but we wanted to do things collectively right so we started off doing about one anthology a year and we would take turns sort of being in the right in the editor's chair but then over time we were starting to build up locally some a real appetite amongst the fans for more so we kind of said well maybe we should do more than one a year so we bumped it up to two a year. Now, I think we're up to three, at least three a year. Um, maybe even no, I think three, about three years about. Right. Um, so what we do is it's the core members of Crazy 8 Press contribute. And then we also invite outside authors to to join the fun as well. So, you know, we like to have there are some authors who have contributed several times to anthologies. Um, we try to mi- bring in some new voices all the time because there's so many good writers out there. And we want to work with all sorts of folks.
0: Now, one of the one of the more recent ones, thrilling adventure yarns. You're a contributor yes. on that one. That was uh, that was uh, when was this? It was the 2022 edition. And right. it's, uh, I think there are there is there going to be a third one? I think yes. there's been discussion about yes. a third one.
1: Yep the third the third one is. Uh, it was kickstarted. It's it we had a successful Kickstarter. It's fully funded. It'll be out. I think the goal is—I oh, lost. We just—we actually just had a meeting about this. It's either going to the physical book will either be out end of this year or in uh, in twenty three. But it's 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 already been commissioned. It's already paid for. My story's already been. I submitted it months ago. It's we're in good shape there. Yeah.
0: So when when you do stuff like this I mean you're in this space all the time with the noir and the pulp fiction right. and and that sort right. of thing is there ever do you ever get anybody coming back to you saying yeah uh, that it, it it feels too much pastiche and not I mean it feels like no. it feels like you're imitating the pulp but it's not really the pulp you know you, you get some no. some blowback no no
1: not at all if anything it's the opposite it's we love these stories can you write more Gotcha.
0: So what is, what is the more for you? What's coming up next?
1: So a hot ash, which is the third novel in the, which you can see right behind you on the Hardwick series literally just came out a week ago. So I'm just, I'm just at the very beginning of book tour, um, which is one of the reasons like we're here. Um, I I will be doing uh, a live, I'm actually a week from now. I will be at monster mania in Huntsville, Maryland. I will be doing a reading at KGB Bar in uh, Lower Manhattan in, in October. And then at the end of November, I'll be at PhilCon um, on book tour to support the entire Hardwick series. Plus, I have other novels as well. I do, uh, you know, I do space opera and um, and uh, um, a few other things as well. Um, I am right now. I was just this morning. I was I'm writing the fourth Hardwick novel which will be out September of 23. I am collaborating with Hildy Silverman, um, who was the formerly the publisher of Space and Time Magazine for 12 years. She's a member of Crazy A Press. She and I are collaborating on... Um, so Michael Jan Friedman put out a collection through Crazy A Press last year called The Phenomenons, which are basically wow. our version of, of superheroes. Right. Uh, Hildy and I each have created our own superheroes. Um, mine is syntax. She has the power to basically, uh, manipulate the way you read and hear and speak language. You know, you could say, Hey, I, you're trying to say, I want to go to the store, but what she makes you say is I'm going to kill you right now. She has that ability. Okay. And, and, um, Hilde's character is a private eye, um, that has the ability to physically phase through solid objects. And the two of them teamed up um, in the first collection, which came out last year. And now we're, it was a two-part story and we're doing another two-part story this year. Ours is kind of the bookend for the entire um, collection. So we really have to get it right. We're really um, amping up the stakes and we've sort of uh, created, there's a big bad who's kind of behind some pretty nasty stuff. So I'm working on that as well. Um, and I've already been commissioned to do Oh, yeah, yeah, one, two, three. I think four other short stories that I'm going to owe sometime between now and let's say spring of 23. Um, and then as I finish up Hardwick four, I'll start plotting Hardwick five.
0: Do you have the dream project that's still kind of sitting out there waiting for you to start working on?
1: Yes. <laughs> well I'll I'll, I'll I'll say this hardwick to me is is the dream yeah. i mean i absolutely love this series i love hardwick there's no there's literally there's no limit to what i can do with her um because of the kind of private eye that she is you know i split the time between being very grounded very you know off street this is street level investigations right, right. she's interviewing witnesses she's you know, getting, mixing up with gangsters. She's, you know, clients who lie to her, you know, she's got enemies, it's on the street, but she also does, you know, kind of this cosmic kind of shenanigans as well. And I try to blend the two. Because of that, there's really no limit to where these stories can go. It's purely by my imagination. Um, I'm At minimum, I'm doing five Hardwick novels. I've already done about a half dozen short stories. My intent, I have a five book plan for Hardwick. And I have a 10 book plan for Hardwick Um, or even possibly longer. I'm going to just sort of give myself the flexibility depending on how um, on how sales go. Sure. Uh, There's another I wrote about 10 years ago. I put out a a novel called Crossline, which is a um, which is a space opera, which I loved and was very, very well received. I have ideas to do another book in that world, which I want to do. And I have another one which is sort of um, it's kind of like my it's a, it's a book that's very personal to me. Nobody else could write this book but me. Um, I'm going to write it. I don't know when. Um, for a long time, I didn't write it because I didn't feel that I was ready. I didn't think my skills were where they needed to be to, um, to tell the story with the nuance and sophistication that I want to. I think I'm there now, but I have so many commitments right now that I couldn't even conceivably get to it for another five years. Um, I'm, I'm little, I'm literally booked up that far in advance, um, which is both a great thing. And it's also frustrating because new opportunities pop up all the time and I constantly have to negotiate what I want to do. So, um, you know, I'm going to be at this, I'm going to be at this for as long as there's breath in my body basically.
0: (laughs) Now you mentioned the five, the five book plan, the 10 book plan. When you, when you go through, uh, plotting out the books, How much pre planning, how much preliminary stuff do you outline, or do you, are you a pantser, or is this, or do do the characters sometimes surprise you? You've got an idea where you're going, and then suddenly something kind of veers off, and you're going into a different direction that you didn't intend or you didn't anticipate. Yes, to all. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, what I do is, um, I go in with an idea of what I want this novel to be about, and Often, not always, but often I start off with, I need to know the end. I want to know how it's going to end because, you know, as you know, the great, uh, as the motivational speaker, Stephen Covey used to say, you know, start with the end in mind, because if you know where you're going to end, then you can sort of like, you can sort of back your way into the beginning. Right. Um, and I want to know that I'm moving towards a very specific end point. Um, And usually the endings are not that, I don't want to say they're not that difficult to come up with because the execution is critical, right? But I like to, I usually can figure out, I know this is where I want to end up. And then what I do is, or I usually work, I spend about a month, and I work it through my head. um, And I just start plotting. All right, what are we really doing here? Is it's hard with being hired to take a case? Did she stumble into it by accident? was it a you know a friend who's in trouble I don't know I got to find out what's the what's the entry point to the to this narrative yeah and then I say okay well where's the tension where's the threat and what kind of obstacles and thematically what do I want to explore because there's the plot but then there's the character right p I, I ask it on my show all the time to writers what's more important to you like right? telling a good story or writing a great character to me it's both I don't I don't want. You know, a a really good plot with dull characters doesn't work. A story with a great character with a plot that kind of doesn't go anywhere is problematic. I want to have both. So I spend time on the mechanics of the plot and breaking it down. I do it all the time. Does this make sense? Well, if she does this and he goes there. That means that would happen. But no, that doesn't work because I need him to be over there. Right. And I constantly have to negotiate these things. Um, the more that I do that, I find the better that it is because if I can just say, Well, chapter one roughly needs to be this, this has to be in two and three and four, and all the way down the line. I can just sit down and bang out that chapter, and that's when I'm the most successful. Um, but and especially when you're telling a mystery, every step in the chain is critical. If you are wrong in even one spot, that it's like, you know, that classic, you know, weakest uh, link in the chain, then the whole thing collapses like a house of cards. And I don't want that. It's important to me that I can justify every decision I make. I can, the reader can say, Oh, I believe given what you've shown me, I believe that these characters would do these things in this way. And at that time, right, it's believable within that world. And that's really important to me. Um, but I also like to leave enough room for surprises sometimes characters just show up out of nowhere i'm like well who who is this person like i don't know but they showed up and they're important so if i have to change the plot a little bit then i do it if i have to you know zig and zag and i do it but that's kind of where the magic happens so i like i like the blend i like structure but also the freedom to sort of go where it needs to go
0: well and i think one of the things that that i've always thought as a as a writer is that if you have fully realized characters that have depth and dimension, you know, they're they're three-dimensional, they're not these flat that's right. stereotypes. That's right. It, it, it makes it easier to give them the motivation of what do they want because something that they want runs counter to what somebody else wants and that's where you have your conflict and your drama and that's where the story comes from. So I, I agree with you. You definitely have to have both character and plot because the better your characters, that that makes your plot better, that makes your story better, because you can, you can take those characters in various different directions because they have that dimension to them.
1: That's right. I mean, in a lot of ways, what I do is, I write almost like a playwright, in that my favorite scenes, no matter what I'm writing, is to take two characters, get them in a the room, and just have them go at it. Mm-hmm. Because when the tensions are flaring, that's when the truth tends to spill out, right? Because most people, try, they try to be polite or, you know, they, they go along to get along. Right. But you just start getting upset and you're getting, you know, you're upset, you're frustrated and you start yelling at each other. That's when you start saying things. Now, you might say it in an ugly way, but there's truth behind it. And that's where those real juicy moments come, and that's what I love. Really, I like getting characters together and just really having them. You know, whether they like each other or they don't, it doesn't matter. Have them really go at it and push each other and challenge each other, and you know that there's something there that that you either want to come out or is dying to come out. And to me, that's the that's the good stuff. No,
0: yeah. now that's not your interview style on on
1: the the youtube no. show is <laughs> no, no 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 No, as an interviewer i'm i'm the opposite you know yeah. I, I like to take the i'm very i'm a very curious guy um and i'm an, i try to be an active listener and uh i like i like i like hearing people's stories i want to know who they are what they're about kind of to the degree that they're willing to share like what makes them tick and you know um i like to really kind of i like to get into it but in a way where they feel comfortable sharing what they have to say. I don't want to force anyone, pressure anyone. You know, that's not what that's not that's just not my approach.
0: Right. All right. Well, the YouTube channel uh, you can find is uh linked in the, our our notes as well as Russ's Twitter account and his Facebook account. Uh, the book that is currently out now hot Ash the third in the Angela Hardwick mystery series um now is this is this this is crazy 8 press right that put this one out yeah yeah all right That's so right. you can find all of that and all of those links in our notes Russ thanks very much for being here sir
1: I really appreciate yeah. it. No, this 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 was great. I just want to say to anyone who uh, you know, if you wind up want, if you're interested in the Hardwick series, I'll just say real quick that Fractured Lives, which is up there, has a little bit more of an action thriller vibe. The second one, Fractured Lives, has more of a cyberpunk vibe, and Hot Ash has a little bit more of a James Bond kind of vibe to it.
0: Cool. All right, we'll, we'll definitely check those out. I I'm going to have to put those on my list.
1: Uh, it's, it's, sounds it's, good. And I did that, my job.
0: That list so, keeps getting uh, longer. I tell you. All right, sir. Well, thanks very much. Have a good weekend and we will definitely have you back to talk further about uh, about your next project whenever anything comes out and and uh, we'll see what happens
1: next. I'd love it. All right. Thanks so so much.
0: All right. And thanks to all of you in the chat, everybody, for watching. If you are here with us live, uh, you can uh, leave your thoughts. And if you're not with us live, you can leave a comment. You can share your uh, share your ideas, suggestions for topics and guests to uh, invite Live from the Bunker at sci-fi4me.com is, uh, is the website and, of course, or, um, the email address. And uh, you can find us on various different social media platforms, different YouTube platforms. We picked up a couple of new subscribers over on Rumble for some reason this week. And uh, there is a newsletter you can sign up for there as well. So that's going to do it for us. Don't forget, tomorrow morning we have... Uh, brand new Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, with the week's headlines in science fiction, fantasy, horror. We'll even have the weather forecast for next weekend. So tune in for that. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Don't uh, don't rem- uh, don't forget. You don't tug on Superman's cape, and there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media,
1: LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.